Well, welcome to week four of our series, what? Yeah. Oh, so y'all been waiting. We didn't get to say it last week. Uh, man, if you're wondering why in the world does that mean no, it's not some karate move uh, or sound that you make uh, when you're doing a karate move. It is actually uh, the Greek word for revive. And here's what it means. To live, cause to live, to stir up or rekindle as a fire, to recover from a state of neglect, obscurity or depression, to refresh with joy or hope. Man, do we ever need that. As individuals, as a church, as a community, as a nation, we need that. Um, this past week, uh, one of our good friends that used to be part of our church here, Sean McKinnon, uh, he was one that would sit on the front row, man, and would just worship his heart out and had to when his mom passed away, he had to move uh, to go live with his brothers. But he posted this on social media this week, and I loved it. The official sports drink when I was a kid. Anybody remember those days? Hey, we didn't need no stinking filter. We didn't need no water that flows from the springs of the Himalayas or whatever. Hey, we got thirsty when we played outside, kids. We used to play outside. Hey, it was was great. You get thirsty and that... There was nothing better than picking up that water hose. Oh, it just refreshed you to the core unless it had been sunny all day. (laughs) Then what'd you have to do? Let that water run through, but then that cold water hitting. Ah, so refreshing. So good. Listen, I I tell you, people don't think I grew up, I grew up country. I, my uncles, all of them were, were coon hunters, fox hunters, and I spent a lot of my nights out in the woods climbing trees that I should never have climbed, uh, waiting for stuff I never should have waited through. My uncle Dwayne got, got us involved, and we'd be out hunting. We'd say, oh, I'm thirsty. Well, there's a mud hole. Get, get you a drink. We got a drink. But I could drink anything. I didn't. And you know what? I think my immunity system is better because of it. Some of you need to let your kids. I'm, I'm about to get in trouble. <laughs> Raising a bunch of sissy kids. Anyway, let's go. <laughs> so, come on now. Let them get dirty. Let them get out there and eat some dirt, eat some mud. It's good for them. Come on now. No, let's go. Let's, let's move on. I'm so tempted to stay here, but I'm not because it has nothing to do with my message. Um, But then the early uh, to mid-90s hit, and this water craze got started. And and here, here, let me show you, in 1998, the average American drank 54 gallons of soda a year compared to 42 gallons of water a year. Well, over the past couple of decades, that has flipped, and now the average American consumes 38 gallons of soda a year compared to 58 gallons of water a year. I I remember when the bottled water craze began to hit, I thought, who in their right mind would pay for water? It's right there. I can get it. Why why do I want to pay a dollar, two dollars for water? Now, I will admit, since then, I I will buy a bottle of water. But don't don't come into my house thinking, ooh, he's the bottle of water guy, and then go to the refrigerator and grab a bottle of water. Because chances are, I've drunk that bottle of water and then refilled it from the tap and put it back in there. (laughs) 
reason I buy a bottle of water is because they don't have it free. If they had a fountain, I would use it, Kelly, with everything that's going on. Absolutely. Lord, bless this fountain here in Jesus' name. Mm, let me get me some water. But I, I've got some different uh, bottled waters here. I've got this signing. I've got, uh, let's see. What else? Oh, anybody? You smart water people? It does not work. <laughs> Harvey is living proof. It does not work. Uh, I've, got, I've got the Walmart brand. Hey, it's good stuff. Nothing, hey, listen, this is what we give our praise team, and y'all heard how good they were. <laughs> It'll make you sing like that, I'm just telling you. Uh, then we've got this, oh, Avion, anybody? You know backwards it spells naive. <laughs> and then, oh, what about this? Oh, the high dollar stuff. Oh, here, here's what I know. At the end of the day, whether it's the cheap stuff or the expensive water, uh, it's just water. That's all it is. I, honestly, you might get up here and tell me, Kel, I can taste the difference. I guarantee you, I could put a little cup, let's do a little Pepsi challenge, water challenge, lay them out there, and you would not guess what was what. Because at the end of the day, it's just water, Right? Can we agree on that? It's just water. And so this, though, however, let's see now. Where's it at? Oh, yeah. In case you're wondering, that's not sparkling water. That is real wine. And in case you're judging me for that, no, it was not purchased with church funds. It was borrowed. It was borrowed from uh, a guy that had bought his first house and, and was given this to commemorate that. Now, I think we can all agree with this. This over here is a lot different from any of these here. We're on the same page. This wine is different from this water. With that in mind, turn with me to John chapter 2, and we'll come back to this here in a minute. I want to set this story up. In John chapter 1, uh, this is where John is baptizing people. Uh, he sees Jesus coming, and, and he hollers out, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He baptizes Jesus. The dove comes down. All that happens. The next day, John and his disciples are out. He sees Jesus coming again. And again, he says, Behold, the Lamb of, of God that takes away the sins of the world. A couple of his, his disciples left Jesus and or left John to go follow Jesus. And Jesus then goes on on this recruiting. He begins to go out, and that's where he pulls in uh, James and John. He pulls in Peter and them. And, and, and he says two words, follow me. And they do. And that's where we pick up the story, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. They weren't wedding crashers. They had been 
invited. Invited. This is, I'm telling you, this is one, if you've not seen centuries, this is one of my favorite scenes. And people that show up, it's one of their favorite scenes when we do the wedding scene because you see Jesus show up. You see him bust a move. You see his disciples try to bust a move. Uh, our Jesus could dance better when it was played by Josh. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but hey, Corey gives it his best as a white boy trying to dance. Um, but it's one of those things. Why? Because we, in our upbringing, We've come across this idea of Jesus as being staunch. No fun to be around. He's very stiff. But I think we've got to remember, though, Jesus was fully God. He was also fully human. Are you hearing me? Come on. I think, I'm one of those, I think Jesus laughed. I think Jesus pulled pranks on the disciples. I, I think he'd be like, hey, hey, Peter, you want some bread? Here you go. Peter takes his bread, he bites into it, it's a rock. Jesus is a rock. Is it? Bam. I mean, that's what I would do if I was Jesus, which is probably why I'm not Jesus. But uh, come on, I'd be, no, never mind. I'm, I'm about to wade too deep. But Jesus got invited to a wedding, but I'll tell you, he invited, more than it was a party. And why you can argue, Kelly, to Kelly, no, no, it wasn't. He didn't get invited to a party, he got invited to a wedding. And I understand the thought process because for a lot of us, guys especially, listen, we cannot wait to get out of the wedding. That bride kisses the groom and they pronounce them, we're ready to get out of there. In fact, we're not mad if we don't get invited to the wedding. If you just want to invite our wives, we're happy with that. We don't care if our wife, in fact, if she wants to take a date with her, if we don't, we don't, we're good. But you got to understand, the weddings of this culture, they went on for three to seven days. So Jesus was invited to a partay. Come on. Look at your neighbor and say, he was invited to a partay. And let's go on verse three. I'm not saying that. That's just stupid. Let's go on. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. I love Jesus' response. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now, now I want all my southern mamas. Think about this. You're at home. You tell your son, take the trash out. They respond, woman, why do you involve me? Come on, that, a southern mom be like, uh, what did you say? Why, why do I involve you? Why do you involve me washing your nasty clothes? Why do you involve me cooking you food every day? Why do you involve me paying your cell phone bill? Come on. But you got to understand this culture, woman, was not an offensive term. It wasn't an offensive term. But I still think uh, Mary must have had a, uh, she must have been from the southern part of Galilee because her response is awesome. When Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? My time hasn't come. She doesn't even respond to him. I imagine Mary giving him one of those looks that my mom used to give me. Child, please. <laughs> and then looking over to the servants, and she says this, do whatever he tells you to. You might want to underline that, do whatever he tells you to. 
says, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Each of the jars held 20 to 30 gallons. She, she says, do whatever he tells you to do. Can I tell you that it's the best advice I could give any of you today? Whether you come to me for marriage counseling, financial counseling, a kid that is losing his mind, or something that's going on, my, the best advice I could give you is, hey, do what Jesus tells you to do. Do what Jesus tells you to do. And, and so let, let's, let's move on. Uh, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. In other words, they did what Jesus told them to do. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants knew exactly where it came from. Now, this is a little off topic, but let me go here for a moment. Who got to see the miracle first? Those serving. That's why I encourage you to get plugged in, volunteer and serve in some some capacity. Because you wonder why our Watts Bar WB Kids volunteers are excited about what's going on. Or our nursery workers or our, uh, gr- uh, our greeters and ushers or those service security or things. Here's why. Because they see first the miracles that are walking through those doors. They know who's walking through those doors and what God has done in their life because they were plugged in serving in some capacity. Those that serve see the miracles first. Oh, that's good, Pastor Kelly. So Jesus tells the servants, fill the jars of water. They take it to the host of the wedding party. The host didn't know where it came from. He didn't realize that only water had been poured into them. And he got himself a taste, and look what happens. He called the bridegroom and said, said, hey, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Here's what would happen at these parties. That show up day one. They are serving top shelf, the finest wine there is. Two days in, when people are drunk, people are a little wasted, people are, they start bringing out the Boone's Farm, um, MD 2020, come on, the boxed wine. They start bringing that out. Uh, what, what is it, White Claw now? Is that the thing? Um, they start bringing out the cheap stuff. And, 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 but, but the, the, the host, he calls the, the bride, the bridegroom over and said, Hey, listen, usually, man, they, they, they put out the best stuff first and save the cheap stuff to last, but you, you've reversed it. You save the top shelf, the best stuff to serve last. Listen, this is for somebody in this room. You think because the first part of your life was bad that you've got nothing to give. That the next part of your life will just be a rehearsal or go over what you just did. But Jesus said, no, I came to reverse it. And the last half will be better than the first. Come on. That's for somebody. Let's go on verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I want to give you three truths from that story. Three truths that we, uh, that we need to get into our hearts. These need to be just uh, uh, tattooed to us. I mean, in, in our, we, we've got to understand and know these truths. The first one is this, if you're taking notes. 
Jesus transforms the natural into the supernatural. Transforms the natural. And see, over the past decade, um, we've watched as our culture has been more and more enthralled with the supernatural, right? Uh, I, I remember years ago, Ghost Hunters was big, and uh, Mom was doing a series, uh, and so she had Casey and Bob go out and make these Ghost Hunter videos. If you can find those, they are hilarious. Look, look them up. Uh, because they're fi- they're they're funny, but here's the thing: I'm not here to debate whether ghosts are real or whether or not. But I will tell you this: if you call my phone in the middle of the night and you say, "Pastor, there's a ghost at my house," you need to be aware I'm not coming. <laughs> I'm not showing up. I'm going to say, "Hey, let's be sensible about this. Is there some place you can go? I'll come over when it's daylight." And I can see what's coming at me. If there's something coming at me, I want to be able to see it. I never understood the scary movies where if there's a light switch right there, turn it on. <laughs> turn the stupid thing on. But, but, but here's the thing. When it, when it comes to ghosts, man, I mean, you watch these. They'll be like, they'll be walking through this old house. Oh, did you feel that? Oh, it just got cold. Oof. I'm like, well, you're standing over the air vent. Get off of it. <laughs> or or you'll, they'll be going, did you hear that? I'm hearing a noise. It's an old house. You're going to hear noise. And, and I remember uh, when Denise and I, we were, we were renting this house over in uh, Spring City when we first moved back. And we were upstairs. We started hearing this. Bah, 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 and I'm like, what in the world is that? And he's like, is somebody at the door? Like, I don't know. So we kept, I, I go downstairs. Nobody's at the door. I open up, look out, to make sure, go back upstairs. Well, I said, nobody's there. Bow, 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 bow. I'm like, what in the world is going on? And so finally, after some much paranormal investigation, <laughs> we discovered right outside our bedroom window was a woodpecker just going to town on this tree. There was nothing supernatural about it other than the fact that this woodpecker really loved this tree. And it was going on. But we get in there. We get into that, that our head space. Now, here, here's the thing. We can, can, can we agree this right here will never be in and of itself cannot ever be anything but water, Right? I could label it something else. I could label it Coke. Still water, right? Right? Not trick question. I could label it wine. What is it still? Water. I could label it olive oil. Still water. I could could bury this water in the ground, leave it there for five years, come back. I'm just digging up old water. It's what it could could get in the mirror and say, I'm lying. I love myself. I'm better than this. But no matter how many positive confessions it makes, it will just be water, right? Come on, are are you with me? That's all it's ever going to be is water. This right here, this is, if you're a follower of Christ, this is who you were. But then when you said to Jesus, a supernatural act took place. And you became this. But can I tell you, 
in and of yourself. You cannot change yourself with as much positive confession as you make, as much as you try to convince yourself. It takes a supernatural act of God to switch you over to this. And now, this is who you are now. Stay with me, stay with me now. We saw that miracle. Uh, I want to show you another miracle found in 1 Corinthians 6, chapter, I mean, chapter 6, verse 9. Paul says this, don't you realize those who do no wrong, those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let's stop there. Anybody guilty of doing anything wrong? This, this week, oh, man, we got some. I, listen, I, I probably did something wrong within the, the last hour. I mean, do something wrong. You say, well, Kelly, not, not me. Well, then you're going against the Bible because Romans 23, 23 says all have sinned. And then 1 John 1, 8 says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. And he says, listen, everybody here has done wrong. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. He says, don't fool yourselves. And then he begins to make a list of the wrongs. Those who continue to engage in sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, sexual perversion, homosexuality, fraud, greed, drunkenness, verbal abuse, extortion, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I guarantee everyone in this room can find themselves somewhere on that list. And you say, well, Kelly, not me. That, that uh, uh, where it says verbal abuse, Look at the Greek word for that. Here's what it means to tear someone down with your words. That includes Facebook. That includes social media. To tear someone down with your words. So I think we can read that list and everyone find ourselves somewhere in that list. And we see this according to that, man, we are in the red. We owe a lot. Man, we've got a debt piled up against us. And and we cannot go there. And here's what's important to understand. Paul is writing this to the church. People in the church. But this party gets down to verse 11. He looks over this, this group of believers. And what he says to them, I believe he says to this group right here of believers, he said this, a number of you, Know from experience what I'm talking about. For not so long ago, you were on that list. But now you are cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What Paul is saying, this is who you used to be. You remember doing all those things, but now something supernatural, and now this is who you are. Isn't it easy for us to forget that this used to be us and then start throwing a lot of blame around when we see people making mistakes we used to make or we're still making them but in secret and we forget the grace that was poured on us the supernatural that was poured on us to make us this I'm telling you God here's the thing You need something supernatural to occur uh, to to change yourself. You cannot do it by yourself. 
You can't. Uh, you, you, you need, I'm telling you, you will work yourself to death trying to change. It doesn't matter how much willpower. You need a supernatural act of God to help you change. You need the supernatural to help you love people that are unlovable. You know what's funny to me about church? I didn't say this at 9 a.m. Only places where someone can get it saved. And then 20 years later, really nothing's changed about them. They were a jerk when they got saved. And 20 years later, they're still a jerk, still rude to people, but nobody addresses it. Come on. It's the only place I know of. If I were to go down, Mendonese were to go on vacation down to, to uh, Florida. And I was to put on me some, uh, what do they call them, around my arms? Swimmies. And I just jumped in the kiddie pool. 53-year-old man in the kiddie pool. Someone would think there's something wrong with that. Someone would think, uh, if, I'm a, and if I'm a parent and I see a 53-year-old man by himself, he doesn't have any kids there, I'm, I'm calling the police. And before they get there, I probably have said words to him. But yet in the church, it's acceptable to stay in the kiddie pool. To not grow any, not get deeper, not learn how to swim for yourself, not learn how to go wade out in the deeper water. Man, I mean, so let's move on. I'm, some of y'all are saying, man, let's, let's just move on, Pastor Kelly. Thank you. But, but we need the supernatural guys to help us move. Here, here's the truth. If I, were, if I was to get up here today and start preaching, and from the get-go, I start downing these. I mean, I'm... I'm chugging them. I'm telling Ben, hey, go back and get the other water, man. I, and I'm chugging them. The only difference about me by the end of my message is I will be making a beeline toward the bathroom. That's the only difference. But let's say I have me a glass. I pop the cork on this. Drink me a glass. Drink me two glass. It wouldn't take long till y'all saw something different about Kelly. Something's different about him. And then if I continue with that, I wouldn't be on a glass. I'd be chugging this from the bottle. Come on. And then once I got there, time we got to the altar call, I'd have a lampshade on my head, sitting on the table, singing all my rowdy friends are coming over tonight. <laughs> Why? Because this, the more I drink of this, the less of me, of myself I become. I become unnatural. The more of Jesus we drink in, the less of ourselves we become. We become unnatural to what this world calls natural. The more of Jesus we drink in. I'm telling you guys, it's unnatural. We, we, we think that's a bad thing. It's natural to hold on to forgiveness and not forgive somebody that hurts you or that hurts somebody you love. It's unnatural to show forgiveness to that person. Come on. It's natural when somebody says something to you to just let your words fly and your feelings fly. It's unnatural to respond with love and grace. Come on, are you with me? We need more. We need to drink in a lot of Jesus to where we are less of ourselves and more under his influence. 
Come on, are you with me? So Jesus takes the natural and makes it the supernatural, the second truth. Jesus transforms a deficit into abundance. I love the wedding story. I love the story of Jesus turning the bottle into wine. You know, they're at this party. Uh, they run into a deficit. They are out of wine. Jesus' mom comes to Jesus and says, hey, we need to do something. He tells the servants, hey, go fill these six jars of water to the brim. Now, if you were reading along with me, you'll, you remember these jars held somewhere between 20 to 30 gallons each. Six of them. Let's go in the middle. Let's say 25 gallons. That is 150 gallons. Here's my point. When Jesus saw the need that was in place, he didn't just show up with a glass of wine. He didn't just show up with a bottle of wine. He showed up with 150 gallons of top shelf premium wine. Here's what I'm saying. You may think you're in a deficit, but if you will allow God to take it, he will turn it into an abundance. Jesus wants more for your life than you could ever imagine. I'm telling you, Jesus wants to, hey, I revive the natural with the supernatural. There are people here today, you won't surrender your life to God because here, here you've got this distorted view of God and you're under this assumption that, well, God just wants to take things from me. That's partially true. He does want to take some things from you. He wants to take away your guilt, shame, your past. He wants to take fear, doubts, addictions, hurt. But then he wants to replace those things. He wants to replace them with some peace, joy, purpose. Come on, passion for living. And then there are others here today that you hear me say that Jesus wants to take your deficit and turn it into abundance. And you're like, well... Kelly, he's not doing it for me. He's not doing it for me. I mean, I'm doing what I feel like I need to do. Why am I not being blessed? Remember, what did Mary tell servants about Jesus? Do whatever he tells you to do. And then, what would happen if this church took Jesus at his word? took this Bible, that's word, and just begin to do what Jesus told us to do. Listen, I don't know about you. My biggest failures, my biggest mistakes, my, my biggest regrets have all came because I didn't do what Jesus told me to do. They've came because I decided I want to do what I wanted to do. What would happen? What would happen? We just do what God wants us to do. But pastor, pastor, I believe I'm doing what God said to do. I, I believe that I'm following through. Jesus said, fill the jars. They obey. Then Jesus said, give them out. Here's what I'm trying to get at. Listen, don't just think one and done and everything should be okay. What it takes is intentional, consistent obedience. That is the difference maker. Intentional, consistent obedience. What do you mean? I mean showing up when you don't feel like showing up. Come on. Being part of the production that's going to see people's lives saved when you feel like that's going to inconvenience you, but yet you still show up. Oh, I'm, I'm going to preach good here. That means giving even when you don't feel like you're seeing the results of that giving. 
Favor means loving people even when they don't love you. I'm telling you, intentional, consistent obedience, it is the difference maker. If there's an area in your life that you feel like is falling short where you can't seem to get it right, maybe you need to ask yourself, am I being intentional and consistent in my obedience? Or am I just trying it and then going, well, God, it didn't work for me. See, I'm, I'm convinced that Jesus wants to bless every person in this place. I'm not talking like the name it, claim it stuff. I believe he wants to bless, but a lot of times we're tying his hands because we're not being consistent with our obedience to him. The third thing Jesus does, third truth, Jesus transforms ordinary into priceless. If I could get Bob or Manny to come up for me. Jeff Foxworthy's got this show. Uh, it came out when the pandemic and all that hit um, called What's It Worth? Anybody, anybody seen it, familiar with it? It's actually a fun show because people will take stuff that, that's either been in their family for a long time or they bought something at a yard sale or a flea market and they want to know, hey, is this worth anything? And it's unbelievable what people have been holding on to, not just they bought it and then find out. One of my favorites, though, is this husband and wife had this painting. It was ugly. I mean, it looked like something your kid brings home from kindergarten and you just put it up there on the refrigerator wall and then you lie to that kid and say, oh, you're such an artist. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. But it looked terrible. And, and in fact, uh, the, the wife was going to put it in the, in the Goodwill bin and had it ready to go out the door. And the husband said, listen, my, my late mom gave me that as a gift. I can't get rid of it. It's really the only thing I've got left of her. So she said, okay. So they stored it under the bed. For years, it was under the bed. So they want to find out what it's worth. Is it anything? So they come on the show. Well, once the experts looked at it, it turned out to be an original Picasso worth thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars laying under a bed for years. Why? Because they could not see the value because to their eyes, it wasn't appealing. Man, my biggest fear for you as a pastor is that you go through your life not realizing your value because to someone, they couldn't see the value in you and you accepted how they saw you. It's my biggest fear, guys. The story opens up. The wedding. It says that he went to the village of Canaan, Galilee. Little trivia, that was the only time Jesus ever visited that, that village. Only time, one time. I mean, Canaan, when you look at it, it's not, it's not a big city. It's not like a New York, L.A., Chicago, or even Atlanta or Nashville. In fact, when you look, it's more like a 10-mile Tennessee city that Jesus goes to. Here's why I'm telling you this. Jesus goes out of his way to a place he had never visited to turn something ordinary into something priceless. Jesus has gone way out of his way 
take your ordinary life and make it priceless. He's gone way out of the way, guys. The stuff here, it's just ordinary water. No real value. You know why I, throw, I can throw this something like this to Ben? Because it really doesn't have that much value. Now this, I'm not going to pick it up and throw it to Ben. Why? Because I know the value of it. I, and I don't, I'm not, I don't know, this may be cheap wine. I don't, I don't know. But I know this is valuable to the person that loaned it to me because it symbolized them buying their first house. This over here, I can do whatever I want to with it. I can drink it if I want to. I can take it out and water plants with it. I've got a little um, essential oil vapor that I'll take sometimes, pour it off, pour it in there, and then pour my oil drops in there and let it flow. I can do pretty much anything I want with this. I mean, it's, at the end of the day, it's just water. But this, I got to treat with care. We live our lives like that over there. When we need to realize the gift we've been given through salvation, we ought to treat it like it's on loan to us from God. And treat it as valuable. I'm convinced that most people settle for a less than kind of walk with Jesus because they really don't know the true value of who they are. You don't see that even though I, I, I could get up here and say that a thousand times, which I probably have, I could say you were created for a purpose, with a purpose, on purpose, and you hear me say that, but and you can believe it for other people, but you can't believe it for yourself. Let me ask you, who told you you were ordinary? Who told you you were less than? Who told you this was all there would ever be in life? Who told you, well, that's the way it was for mom, dad, grandpa. That's the way it's going to be. Who told you you couldn't do any better? But PK, you don't understand. I've got a bad past. I've got a sexual past. I've got an addiction-filled past. I've got a divorce past. I've got this past, that past. Listen, it doesn't matter. I said this last week. God is more interested in your future than he ever is in your past. Ever. If you're in Christ, if you're saved, you need to understand you are brand new. You are priceless. You have more value than you realize, not because of anything you did of what Christ has done in you. Tell me, when we begin to see ourselves the way God sees us, it's priceless. Parents, if we could get into our kids, you're priceless. You're valuable. Maybe they'll quit cutting themselves. Maybe they'll quit looking to other people to tell them how valuable they are. 
Maybe they'll quit looking to social media to affirm who they are. And don't you too. If you ever got and realized how valuable you are, maybe you wouldn't need to work like a madman because that's where you find your values in that job. Who told you you were less than? What determines the value of something? Well, somebody will pay for it, right? I, I, I mean, Denise and I, one of our, we used to be, we used to go yard selling almost every weekend when we lived down in the Atlanta area. One of my biggest finds, man, down there, I come across this, these books, these concordances of the Bible, and uh, and, and, I, I, and I had $10 on and I thought, hey, she's wanting $10 a book. And I said, hey, how much are the books? $10 for the whole box? I'll buy it. And he says, you don't need those books, Kelly. She couldn't see the value I saw. I bought those books. She allowed me to spend that $10. I turned that $10 into almost $900. Why? Because the value somebody else saw in them was worth $900. That's why you can go down to Walmart and you can buy 50-cent water in one of those machines. You go to Neyland Stadium, that same water will cost you 4 or $5. Because the value of it is determined by what you're willing to pay for it. If that's true, what does this say about you? For God so loved the world. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. Get that in you. If the... If the value of something is determined by the price someone's willing to pay for it, God so loved you. He gave his one and only son for you. You are priceless. You're priceless. A great price was paid for you guys. A great price was paid. And it wasn't paid just so you could show up on Sundays. It wasn't showed up so we could wear a necklace uh, with a cross around our neck. A great price was paid for you because that's how valuable you are to God. Stand with me across this room. Think something else, but then they it's still just water. And somebody has put a label on some of you. And you've allowed that label to become truth to you. And God says, No, you're valuable to me. And I can see it, some of you, man. Because you've got a history of addiction, your family has a history of addiction. You've got that title of addict on you, and you think that's all you will ever be. You may have weeks or months of sobriety, but then, you know, I'm going to go back to it eventually because I 
us, I watched mom and dad do it. Jesus says, no. No. That's not who you are. You're valuable to me. they see themselves today and realize there's worth in God. If you're here, no, I'm not going to do the heads bowed things. Man, I believe if people were honest, when I asked this, on certain days, I'd be raising my hand. But you don't realize the value of you. You think there's nothing else really for you this is all there is. It got hammered into you. And today you want God to reverse it and show you your true value. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to step out and get out here now. One, two, three. Come on. Come on. Yeah, yeah. 